0: listening to sermons by the park from Union Congregational Church in East Walpole, Massachusetts. I'm Pastor Aaron Shepherd, and our current sermon series is called Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Here's a hint. It's Jesus. This series examines the stories of Jesus dining with friends and foes and everyone in between to learn about how God meets us how jesus uh, embodied and practiced hospitality in unexpected ways and how we perhaps can meet others through the power of a shared meal a shared word and a shared vision of a new kind of community and belonging here's this week's message first scripture Luke four verses 1 through 4. jesus full of the holy spirit returned from the jordan and was led by the spirit in the wilderness where for forty days he was tempted by the devil he ate nothing at all during those days and when they were over he was famished the devil said to him if you are the son of god command this stone to become a loaf of bread jesus answered him it is written One does not live by bread alone. May God add a blessing to the reading and hearing of this word.
1: Our second gospel reading, continuing here in our series on scenes in Luke's gospel when Jesus is going to a meal, comes to us from the beginning of chapter 14, the first um, six verses. Let's continue to listen for God's word for us here today. On one occasion when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. Just then in front of him, there was a man who had dropsy. And Jesus asked the lawyers and the Pharisees, is it lawful to cure people on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So Jesus took him and healed him and then sent him away. Then he said to them, if one of you has a child or an ox that has fallen into a well, will you not immediately pull it out on a Sabbath day? And again, they could not reply to this. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me now? Gracious God, send your spirit now to grant me clarity of speech, clarity of mind, Lend your power and vitality to my words, that they may truly be your word, spoken for your people in this place. May the words of my mouth and indeed the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, three-year-olds have a well-deserved reputation for obstinance, particularly when it comes to their eating habits and ours is no exception. Lately, Calvin has presented himself paradoxically to us, his parents, as permanently and perpetually hungry, while at the same time almost inevitably absent from the dinner table. This is particularly true at dinner time, where it has lately been the case that the five of us shepherds will all be sitting down, and Calvin's seat will be empty. Now, Whitney and I have tried a lot of different things. You know, we offer food especially prepared for the little prince, as we like to call him. (laughs) We've offered him the reward of dessert as well, should he come and eat his dinner. Now, none of these are good ideas, but I'm just saying we've been trying. (laughs) We've been trying. Uh, Because, you know, in the end, come bedtime, we will have to hear about how hungry he is if he misses his dinner. And because this is a three-year-old, at bedtime, no amount of explaining about what he should have done at dinner time will really sink in and cause him to change his behavior, it seems like. Now, I'm not saying this is always or even ever the case, but if we just for a moment entertain the possibility that Cal has good reason not to come and eat his dinner, then the likely culprit is snacks. He doesn't come to the table because he doesn't want to, but also because he doesn't need to. He's too full of whatever snacks he's been gobbling up to tide him over during the afternoon, so come dinner time, he's just not that hungry. In this morning's gospel text, we heard about how Jesus healed a man with dropsy. That's an interesting word in the text and an interesting detail to throw in there. The term dropsy there is the translation, actually, of a Greek medical term, Uh, the term describes a condition of swelling in the body. Uh, Some describe it as edema or, or something like gout. But either way, the idea is that there is a buildup of fluid, and so the man's body is literally too full. The man Jesus heals is suffering from an acute case of fullness, and we aren't told much of anything else about him. We're not told who he is, where he comes from, whether he's one of the guests for the dinner or perhaps a servant or maybe just someone on the street. We don't know anything about that. All we know about this man is that he is too full and that Jesus heals him. And the implication, I think, is that in healing him, Jesus made him less full, maybe even hungry. The text tells us that, of course, the Pharisees were watching him closely. The implication, most scholars agree, is that they're trying to lay a trap for Jesus, that the Pharisees' intention is evil. In that way, both of these gospel narratives that we heard this morning are about Jesus being tested or tempted. And in both cases, Jesus wields the word of God as a shield against those who would lead him into temptation. Against the devil, he utters the phrase, One does not live by bread alone. Against the Pharisees, he asked them a question about the law, a reference to the exceptions written into the Old Testament to the Sabbath rules in the cases of emergencies. But scholars are also quick to note that in Luke's Gospel in particular, the Pharisees are maybe not so evil as they are often thought. In fact, just before this, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they warn him that Herod is after him. That Herod is out to get him, which seems like a weird thing to do if their intention is evil and their intention is to harm him. So perhaps it wasn't the case that the Pharisees were just watching Jesus closely in order to do him ill. But maybe, maybe like the man who was suffering from his fullness, they also needed something from him. They might have hungered, I think, after his presence. Why else did he keep getting all these invitations from the Pharisees to dine with them after all? Carlos Rodriguez, a, a former pastor and the founder of uh, a nonprofit called the Happy Givers, once said that those who are not hungry for justice are usually too full of privilege. The false goods of the world are like salty snacks that bloat the body and starve the appetite, but underneath it all, there is a deeper spiritual hunger for love, for justice, for peace, that always remains, and remains unsatisfied. Now, of course, it's not the case that Calvin never joins us at the dinner table. One of the things that we typically do at our meal is we share our highs and lows for the day, and he will often appear at this moment with his hand raised, shouting, my turn, my turn, my turn. And then he does this thing where he kind of squints his eyes and tilts his head to the side and says, My eye was... Because he never has anything prepared. Uh, he, just to, he just wants to be a part of it. Right? Because even if physical hunger doesn't bring him to the table, I think, the hunger to share his story and to be seen and to be heard, that is one thing that will bring him to the table. I think that's part of what Jesus means when he says that one does not live by bread alone. Justice is often concerned with simply meeting the material needs of the oppressed and the marginalized, and that's important, I think. Jesus does not say one does not live by bread. He does say, instead, one does not live by bread alone. Throughout Luke's gospel, Jesus shows that the will of God for strangers and outsiders is that they be welcomed and fed, that they be given the dignity of not having to worry about their material needs where their next meal will come from. But, of course, that doesn't just happen, right? Jesus often has to make it happen. Or sometimes the people following Jesus make it happen. After all, when Jesus fed the 5,000, it wasn't his hands that served the meal, but those of the disciples. And so the church is also called to this work of justice, of meeting the needs of the people. But lest we confuse the church with a food bank, Jesus reminds us that bread alone will not satisfy our hungry hearts. When we are overwhelmed and anxious about many things, we want more than anything just to be seen, to have our struggle acknowledged, to have a chance to lay down our burdens and be told that we are more than those struggles. Jesus came to tell folks who have been labeled burdens on society, the poor and the disabled, The young and the old, Jesus came to tell those people they are not their burdens, and they are not society's burden, but they too are blessed children of God, equally entitled to the dignity of an abundant life that so many take for granted, even to the point of letting their own abundance become a problem, like that man who was swollen with dropsy. So this morning, know that Jesus came to say that those who are full of privilege and comfort not only have permission to let go of some of that abundance, but an obligation to do so. And know that Jesus also came to say to those who are hungry that there is a place for you, a place at his table. One remarkable evening, we were all sitting down to eat dinner, and as usual, Cal's place was unoccupied. So rather than try to go and cajole him or or get him out of whatever it was that he was doing besides being at the table, we decided to go ahead with the meal, and we began by singing our, our grace. We sing our grace in our house. We hold hands, and we sing, The Lord is good to me, and so I thank the Lord. And as we're singing the song, I hear these footsteps like a, like a waterfall come crashing through the house and Calvin launches himself into the room and up into his chair and he's waving his hands around so his brothers will, will break their hands and hold his hands and he gets there just in time for the big amen chorus at the end which is his favorite part anyway. Again, he may not have been hungry to eat but he was hungry to sing and to hold hands, and I like to think maybe even hungry to worship. Because ultimately, God made us to worship, to make of our lives a living sacrifice of praise to God, in the words of the Apostle Paul. The fullness of life is God's handiwork, but so too is humility. When Jesus was starving in the wilderness, his response to the temptation to use that power Use the power of the Holy Spirit that he was full of, to use that for his own good, to feed his hunger. His response to that moment was to quote from the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy recounts the events of the Israelites' exodus from Egypt and their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. It, it tells the story again, but lends to it a particular theological character. And it is that section of the book the section that speaks about the wilderness time the Israelites faced that Jesus is here referring to. It comes from Deuteronomy 8.3. In its full context, the verse reads, The Lord humbled you by letting you hunger, and then by feeding you with manna, in order to make you understand that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The message of that passage in Deuteronomy, I think, is that our God is so much a God that not only does God provide for our needs and for our abundance, but God also creates the conditions for those needs. God humbles the Israelites by letting them hunger. In other words, God is the one who makes them hungry. And I like to think that God is the one who makes us hungry for God but I think we are often like a three-year-old bent on snacking. We often mistakenly seek to satisfy our hunger for God in unhealthy ways. Author author Tara Burton gets to the root of this in her book Self-Made when she says that one of the assumptions underlying our modern conception of the good life is that who we are deep down at our most fundamental level is who we most want to be. Our desires, our longings, our yearnings to become or to acquire or to be seen a certain way, these are the truest and most honest parts of ourselves. Taken to its logical conclusion, this assumption means that we are most real when we present ourselves to the world as the people we most want to become. Our honest selves are the ones we choose and we create. But that's not what Jesus teaches. Jesus does not teach that the hunger for life can ever be satisfied by our own desires, but only by the desire of God and the desire God places in us. God puts the hunger into our hearts to be not who we want to be, but who he wants us to be. Jesus came eating and drinking to demonstrate the deep truth that only God satisfies our deepest hungers. And such is his grace that he made a church and he gave us a sacrament so that he could continue to invite us to come to the table where our deepest hungers will be fed, where we can truly be seen and heard, where we are truly known and loved, and where we can pray and sing and worship joyfully, because that is exactly what we were made to do. And so I wonder this morning if anyone here feels a little bit like Cal, drawn to the table not by the hunger for bread and grape juice, but by the deep need to connect, to be seen and heard, to worship and to praise God. I wonder if there's anyone here who is hungry like that. Because if so, you are invited to come to the table.
0: Thank you for listening. I hope this week's message was a feast for your ears, that it fed you body and spirit. And I hope that you will come back and join us again next week here with Sermons by the Park. To find out more about Union Congregational Church, you can always visit our website, churchbythepark.org, or you can follow us on social media at Church by the Park. The theme music for this week's message is by Carmen Maria and Edu Espinal. It's called Ratatouille's Kitchen. Now from all of us here at Union, God's grace and peace go with you.